Dodger jersey, so they're good stuff. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's so good to be here. Uh, I, I love it when I don't have to hop on a plane to speak. Uh, I live in Folsom, California, Folsom, El Dorado Hills area, um, so nice little drive this morning um, and uh, opened the door this morning and smelled, welcome to Tracy. Uh, Beautiful smell, so it's just great stuff. I thought, turn those windmills on real quick, see if we can just kind of move some of this air. This is good. But no, excited to be here. This is fun. Um, it's funny, my first drive to California, I was born in California, but uh, we moved a lot as a kid. And uh, on May 19th, 1980, let's go back, 10 years old, got up for a journey from Illinois to Sacramento. And I'll never forget that morning as we had the truck all packed and we we're getting ready to move out here to the Sacramento area. And we had everything planned perfectly. And it was just mom, dad, me, and my brother. And we were pretty excited because we had this big yellow rider truck. And one of, the, one of us kids would be in the truck with dad. And one kid would be in the 75 Volkswagen Dasher with mom, you know. And so it was like, you know, switching back and forth. And my parents were really looking forward to it because it was kind of like this cool bonding time where we got to talk about stuff as we're making this journey, you know, to the West. So memorable morning, especially as we were going to the West. Funny side note, everybody there said, don't go to California. That place, you know, it's, it's gonna, God's going to destroy it. And, and on May 19th, 1980, we opened up the paper and said, Mountain St. Helens on the West Coast explodes. And we're like, they were right. But uh, so we started heading to the West Coast to be destroyed by God. And uh, as we were driving over, it was so fun because the thing my brother and I were most excited about is we had bought something that we were going to use for this journey in expectation to be able to communicate with each other. And for young people sitting in the audience, I just got to just remind you, this is 1980. Cell phones weren't even a thought yet. Even those big cell phones that were like hooked to your car, those car phones. No, not even a thought yet. The only thing there was at the time was these things that truckers use called the CB radio. And and the first handheld device you could get was a walkie-talkie where you could talk with each other if you were like within, you know, a couple hundred yards, or you could sometimes talk with truckers as they passed by, depending on how good your walkie-talkie was. Well, my brother and I had purchased two walkie-talkies, and we were really excited because we thought, hey, as we're following each other, we would like be talking with each other. So immediately when we get on the road, my brother and I are like, hey, what's going on? And he'd be like, not much. What about you? We're like, oh, you know, just leaving the driveway. You know how it is, yeah, you know. Heading down the street, pretty cool. Yep, there's Mark's house. We won't see it again, you know. And we're just talking. We're just loving it. We've got this handheld device. We're talking with each other. We're like, this is awesome, you know. Like an hour goes by, and my dad's kind of like, you're really still, you know, what are you doing? Nothing, sitting. Yep, me too, yep. You know, but we're just, we're loving it. We're, we're, we're just having a ball. And plus, then we learned if you kind of switch channels, we'd be like, okay, switch to channel 14. We switch to channel 14. You know, just like BJ McKay and his best friend Bear. Okay, if you're on over 50, maybe you got that. If you're a millennial or a, a, a Gen Z, Google it. But, but uh, so we would switch channels and, and, and we would like, you know, all of a sudden we would hear like a trucker talking. And we'd be like, hey, Mr. Trucker, what color is your truck? You know, and, stuff. and they're like, hey, who are you? You know, and so also we found that we could like talk with other people as well. Well, it was crazy because, I mean, this was fun. 
But something that probably a couple hours into the journey that my parents realized is they thought, hey, this will be fun. Here's this device that we'll use to connect with each other. But what was interesting is all of a sudden they realized that they were experiencing the connected disconnect. Because for this journey, which took days, what they found is even when we got to the hotel, as we're going to bed, as we're getting up in the morning, my brother and I are just nonstop playing with these walkie-talkies. We're talking to truckers. We're talking to lonely people who had nothing better to do but sit on their radios and talk to people. We were talking to all kinds of people all over this. And my parents were coming on, come on, let's go to dinner. Come on, let's do this. And they found that this very device that we had got to connect with each other was disconnecting us from each other because all we wanted to do was be on this device. Now, I know young people today here can't relate to that at all. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's interesting how sometimes, all of a sudden, you know, we might have good intentions of, of doing something that will help us to connect. And for some reason, we find ourselves disconnected from those around us. It's interesting because, you know, I mean, this device, I'm, I'm here to tell you straight up, I, I don't think this device is bad. This device is fun. I, I, my daughter, who's a single mom, lover, I get to hang out with my grandkid all the time. I immediately, when I got here this morning, was like, hey, baby, you are one of the greatest moms I know. So excited to send a picture of her and little guy. You know, uh, and I uh, texted my mom. I texted my wife, who, you know, was asleep when I left this morning. You know, and I mean, this is a great device, you know, for connecting with the people we love. But one thing I've always found about this device, it's interesting, and when I talk to young people at school assemblies, I say, hey, this is a great device for connecting people outside of the room when it doesn't interfere with our relationships with the people inside the room. Let me just say that one more time. This is a great device for connecting with people outside the room when it doesn't interfere with our relationships with the people inside the room. And that's just kind of the weird thing about this device, is this device, maybe many of us started with good intentions of trying to connect with others, but all of a sudden we realize that sometimes we started to experience the connected disconnect. Now, it's happening at younger and younger ages. Just like me, when I left here for California, I was 10 years old. Believe it or not, the average age that a young person gets a smartphone in America is 10 years old. And... That means that's just on average. So kids way younger than 10 years old are getting these devices. And a lot of them are kind of growing up with these devices in their hands. And let's be honest, moms, dads, grandparents, we know that if we're about to go on a journey, that very often kids will be better behaved if they have a device in their hand. So is it no surprise that as they get older that they still have a device on their hand on that journey? But I'm not here to harp on young people. This is not a young people thing. This is a people thing, all right? You go in the workplace today, the workplace has changed. Where we used to before meetings kind of talk with each other, hang out, very often now we're buried in our phones. In schools, this is one of the number one issues that's going on. This device has changed how we communicate. Parents can attest to this. If your daughter has a friend over, you used to be able to know when her friend was over because there was all kinds of noise. But now your daughter has a friend over and you don't even know because you don't hear any noise. Hanging out has changed. Hanging out might mean just proximity. It doesn't necessarily mean communication. This has also changed the way we live life. And now we don't just experience an event, we have to post about an event. 
If we have a good cup of coffee, we got to post about that cup of coffee. If we got a meal, we got to start thinking of, you know, our followers and what are they going to think of that meal? You know, we got to let them know when we wake up in the morning, this is something we do. Now, here's the thing is as life goes on, we're doing these posts, but something has happened. And I want to just keep an open mind here because it's something that we've observed in the last decade. And as a guy who studies this all the time, I found it fascinating because something they weren't talking about is, sure, we see people posting about their lives. But what we weren't talking about is that moment after the post, that moment after we hit that button and all of a sudden it's posted where we're all waiting for something. Once we hit post, we're all waiting for something. And the pressure has kind of, kind of got a little more severe recently because once we post about ourselves, then we wait and we all want the same thing. And it's the same thing I wanted when I was a kid and I walked into a room. It was just wondering if people liked me. And we're all waiting for that like. Wouldn't it be cool if people liked us? But sadly, what's happened is there's always somebody that's more liked or somebody who has more friends, more followers, and it's starting to make an impact on the generation growing up right now. Uh, This isn't just speculation. This is something we've noticed for years now. We have seen an unprecedented amount of depression. We've seen suicide literally at a 40-year high. We've seen it affecting people in such dramatic ways that a bunch of people that were arguing about whether this was uh, from the phone or what, literally people that were arguing about screen time, the more evidence has come out We've had people doing entire reports on this where literally people are starting to actually even pace blame because they're saying, hey, some of these big tech people actually knew about this. And we started to hear about some of these studies about how it was affecting the way people felt about themselves. It's funny, before that particular study from Facebook, Facebook came out, um, my daughter and I had written a book together and it was fascinating because here's a young girl who loves social media who she and I would communicate via social media, but she kind of started to confess some things in this book. And one thing she confessed is the way social media made her feel. When it came to Instagram specifically, she talked about how all her friends, they would post pics. And when they would post those pics, for some reason, when those pics were posted, or if she posted a pic about herself with a group of her friends, all of a sudden she said the pressure was on. She said exactly. She said, everyone else looked really good in the pics. I couldn't help but compare. That's the one thing Instagram has always done to me. It makes me compare. And comparison is the thief of joy. Um, COVID hits. And when COVID hits, all of a sudden, we start to see a very lonely generation get lonelier because all of a sudden, you know, you thought they liked screens. Well, during COVID, well, you wanted screens. That's all you get is screens. And we actually started handing young people screens. I think without even thinking through, here's a screen and not even talking about what time this screen should be shut off, you know, or what this screen should be accessing. And it's interesting because just now in 2023, we're starting to see people starting to take notice and saying, you know what? It's almost as if we just handed people screens without thinking through the ramifications. Maybe we had good intentions to connect, but there's definitely a disconnect happening. And we're actually seeing people on both sides of the aisle, people that would never agree about anything except maybe America, you know, uh, all of a sudden coming together and saying, something's got to be done. 
we're starting to see as people are paying attention. Some of these studies come out. One recent study actually found that teens who devote more than eight hours a day to screen time were about twice as likely to be depressed as their peers who were on screens less often than that. And by the way, screen time is kind of a loaded word there because when it comes to screen time, there's all kinds of different screen time. But as the facts are, all the studies are out there, which I look at these all the time and how they advance over the years, uh, the average, average 12 through 17-year-old averages eight hours and 39 minutes a day. Well, they said that anybody who spends over eight hours a day is more likely to be depressed. Is somebody doing the math here? You know, all of a sudden, we're starting to realize when even though the American Academy of Pediatrics for the last 10 years has been saying, no matter what you decide to do with screens, keep them out of the bedroom, 79% of young people bring their phone into the bedroom every night. You know, forget what that doctor says, what's he know? And this little device that's made it to our back pocket has been affecting all of us, young and old. As a matter of fact, most likely tonight, when we all go home, we're going to go to a house that's full of devices. I mean, picture what this typical house, you've got the big screen in, in, in the main room. Well, there's usually another big screen in maybe like the den or another room or something like that. Then there's, you know, of course, somebody has a, you know, mobile device. Well, let's be honest. All of us have mobile devices, okay? Well, and then there's also that, uh, you know, family like, you know, tablet or iPad or whatever. Uh, there's a game system, which is, by the way, hooked up to the screen that used to be there, but now that's in another room that used to be the main screen. And then, of course, we have those other devices that the young people used to have but aren't in order anymore that you used to have that don't work anymore but you forgot and the young people now have hidden in their bedroom so when you take their phone away out of the bedroom at night they have it there oh sorry young people didn't mean to let that cat out of the bag but uh those devices then we also have the device around our wrist i mean honestly think about this if i was to go into the typical home at seven at night honestly in america typical home at seven at night dad is sitting watching the big screen Mom is watching too, but she's also got another screen that she's scrolling through as she's sitting next to that. Okay? We've got son upstairs playing on a gaming device, daughter upstairs scrolling through social media, toddler on the ground flipping shapes across a tablet because, you know, being, being you know, a good screen, you know, screen generation kid playing some game on a tablet, and the dog's on the freaking treadmill because no one will walk him. I mean, this is, just, this is just probably the typical American home. And I'm not saying devices are bad. I'm just saying, is there a chance that maybe less could be more? That's all I'm asking. Because my guess is that the best present a mom could get today would be screens off and just sitting at the table with some people she loves, just being able to talk and hang out, and just, just kind of get the distraction out. I'm not saying these things are bad. These things are quite helpful. Maybe this is going to be the recipe we use. Oh, wait, Dad's cooking today. We're going out. Okay, so as you're eating hot wings out there for Mother's Day, you know, uh, you know, think about this. Wouldn't it be cool if maybe devices went in the back pocket? The question I just want to simply ask is, is there, is there a chance that this is too much? Are there some unforeseen consequences to being so overconnected that we don't connect anymore? Um, is there a chance that less could actually be more in this case? Well, I'll tell you what, just to prove that I don't think screens are bad, um, 
I'm going to use my screen to jump onto scripture. And I encourage you, if you got a Bible, whether analog or digital, it's okay. Pull your screen out. Jump to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at just a few verses, verses 38 through 42, because there is a passage so relevant to our situation that we're in today, I think you're going to find it astonishing. Because we're going to meet two women who really wanted to connect with their Lord. And it's interesting what happened because we're going to find that with great intentions, they wanted to connect, and yet only one of them was able to connect. So Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Uh, It's the story of Mary and Martha. And and I I find this fascinating how relevant it is today. Uh, And and look look with me if you would real quick, or or I'll just read it. Here we are, uh, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was, what's the next word? Distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Okay, let's hit the pause button here for a quick second, okay? Here's what's happened. We got these two sisters. They've seen Jesus out there. And this guy who possibly is the Messiah, who's healing people, who's feeding people, who's doing miraculous things. The most miraculous thing is that sinful, you know, sinful people like us, people who are messed up, who got messed up lives, are approaching this guy, and this guy's like, hey, come here. Most of the religious people of the day at that time were kind of like, hey, we're religious, and you're dirty. Go get yourself cleaned up, and maybe you could be as good as me. That's the way most religious people were of that day. But here's Jesus saying, hey, come as you are. I've got a great message for you, and it's freedom from this bondage you're feeling from this thing called sin, all right? So the dirtier you are, the better. Come on. Unload this stuff. I'm ready to carry that burden for you. This is his message. And when people would come, like one of these sisters had come to him earlier and literally fell at the Lord's feet and washed his feet, and people were like, who is it? If he only knew who this dirty woman was, he's like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, excuse me. And he used that as a springboard for discussion about, you know, about the way God looks at people. And so these two sisters had experienced this amazing guy, and they're like, wouldn't it be cool if we could spend more time with him? Wouldn't it be cool if we could dialogue with him? Couldn't, wouldn't it be cool if we connected with him? And I don't know if Mary maybe had the idea and said, Martha, let's be honest. When you cook, people come. Let's do this. Let's offer to bring him over for food. We'll get him and all his disciples and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of like, let's, let's do like a big, you know, a big buffet. It'll be awesome because, I mean, and there's probably somebody like that in this church, right? When they cook, people show up, right? You know, it's like one of those. Well, that's what she did. She said, hey, do you guys all want to come over for food? This is great. I'm here. Uh, my sister's here. Uh, my brother Lazarus. I mean, come on. Come on over. And he comes. He and disciples come, and they come over, and immediately Martha's like, this is great. Literally, the Messiah is coming over, so she starts preparing and making preparations. And as she's preparing, Jesus shows up. When he shows up, Mary plops down on the floor in front of Jesus. She's thinking, hey, we wanted to bring him over so we could connect with him, 
I'm gonna get to it right away. Boom, just pops down and just starts soaking him in. Meanwhile, Martha is so distracted with the preparations that she forgot that the whole reason she was preparing was so that she could connect with Jesus. As a matter of fact, her preparations started to distract her from the very thing that she set out to do. Isn't that funny that somehow we would set out to connect, but the very thing that we with good intentions wanted to use to connect actually disconnected us. Not only maybe with our relationship with who's very important in our life, but even with the people around us. For Martha, it was causing bitterness between her and her sister. In that case, is there a chance that maybe less would have been more? As a minister, one thing I get a chance to do every once in a while is uh, perform a wedding ceremony. And there was a young girl who was friends with my daughter, who I already showed the picture of on the screen, my daughter Alyssa. Her friend Mel was going to get married, and she kind of grew up in her house. Every Tuesday night, Taco Tuesday, she would come over, and she hung out in her house, and uh, she was there a lot. And when she was getting married, she said, hey, would you do the wedding? And, and I said, I'd be honored. And my daughter was in the wedding as well, so what an, what an awesome thing to be able to, to, to join them together uh, uh, under God and, and, and friends. And uh, what, what a great day. And as we're preparing, we did some kind of like marriage counseling where basically I said, hey, here's some things I learned. You know, here's some things to definitely not do. I'm the expert on what not to do. You know, here's seven things you don't want to do in your marriage, right? And here's what you could do if you really submit to God. And as we're talking about these things, she one day, she, as we just sat down, she kind of goes, so what, is there any advice you give me going to this whole thing? And it's funny because it was very easy for me. I said, you know, honestly, I said, the one thing I noticed in wedding after wedding after wedding that I've done is for some reason, this day, this amazing, wonderful day that you're about to experience where you invite all your friends, you invite your family, many people will say it was the greatest day of their life, right? Their wedding day, right? Or the birth of a child, right? You know, or the day that the Dodgers actually won. Or what, you know what I mean? So there's like a great day, you know? So the thing is, you think of these great days, and here's this possible great day. And it's funny because now, especially even with social media, these days don't just have to be perfect. They have to be insta-perfect. You know, they have, to be, they have to be completely photographed and everything, you know, so beautiful. You have to have the perfect wedding and the pressure's on to measure up with all the others. And I just told her, I said, straight up, I said, you know what? So often people are so excited about this day, they become so wrapped up in the planning for the day, so distracted with all the details that I've seen bride after bride so stressed out of their mind that when they're about ready to go down the mile, true story, as they're getting ready to you know, walk down that aisle, they're chugging Pepto, trying to nurse an ulcer that they've developed for this day, and they barely can enjoy the day because they're so stressed out by it. How ironic. How funny that we would become so distracted by these details and preparation that we'd forget the whole reason we're there. How sad that sometimes we might set out with good intentions to do something really good and we get distracted. There's a lot of distractions out there. There's a lot of distractions here. And I think some of us, if I just even were to ask you, you know, what's that distraction 
in your life that you know he doesn't belong there. If I were to just say, fill a, a blank, just sometimes I allow blank to become a distraction in my life. For a lot of us, boom, it just immediately you know what that is. For some of us, it might be digital. For some of us, it might be analog. But there's something that's distracting us. There's a lot of distractions out there, especially when devices are in the bedroom at night. I'd say uh, fascinating because as we're entertaining ourselves, we go to night, we start, and maybe we're looking at one thing, it leads to another. For young men, I wrote a book to young men about these battles we're facing, and one of the things that's interesting is there is a huge, with all these distractions available, a huge amount of young men turning towards, looking towards some of these distractions at, at, at levels that are, that are jumping big time towards. Some of these distractions you don't even intend to go, and there they are, and they lead us down a trail, and we're fighting a battle. The question I'm just going to ask is simply, is there a chance that maybe less would be more? What's Jesus say? If you remember, we left off with Martha coming up to Jesus and saying, hey, hey, uh, um, I'm trying to prepare here, and my sister's just sitting here connecting with you. You know, what? do something about it, Jesus. And Jesus says, starting verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. And if we had time just looking at that alone, he says her name twice. There's only a handful of times in the Bible where the Lord says someone's names twice. And it's always very important. It's very important. It's like Moses. Moses. We're talking, Google it. The times that someone's name is said twice, all right? Yeah, not now. Okay, but, but, but Google it on your screen, okay? Here's the thing. The cool thing is, he says, Martha, Martha. You're so worried and upset about so many things. How many of you right now are saying, I identify with Martha? But few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. It's fascinating, because when we look in the words of that verse right there, if I were to paraphrase, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, my friend, chill order a pizza. <laughs> the whole reason you did this day was to connect with me. Your sister, she's doing it. I'm not going to take it away from her. I love it because he doesn't even say what the one thing is. He says, only one thing is needed and your sister has found it. Some people are like, what is it? He doesn't even say it. He just says one thing. Your sister's found it. Booyah. Boom. Done. Drop the mic. You know, I mean, that was it. That's all he says. And it's crazy because Martha was so worried about the details that she missed the main event. I asked my um, wife, I said, uh, I was writing a book. Uh, called If I Had a Parenting Do-Over, because I had interviewed hundreds of parents, and I asked them one question. I said, if you could go back in time and you could change one parenting practice, what would you do over? And I'm sitting next to one of the wisest women I know, and I'm like, hey, I never asked you that question. What would you do over? And the first thing she says, we're getting to bed. She lays down in bed. She goes, I'd do less. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, 
brilliant, yeah, whatever. <laughs> what are you talking about? And she goes on to explain. She says, we tried to keep the kids so, you know, we signed up every sport, every activity, every whatever. And all of a sudden, before we know it, this sport is all of a sudden wanting tournaments on Sundays. And this one is this. And, and we're running from gymnastics to this. And we're missing family meals. We're missing church. We're missing. She goes, I would have done less. I'm like, dang, she's smart. <laughs> she goes, we're not raising Olympians. They're not going to be the next, you know, you know uh, Phelps or whatever. I mean, honestly, let's be honest. You know, it would have been better to have some more family meals. I would have done less. And the thing is, as Martha was trying to make the perfect meal, Jesus is just like, hey, guess what? Your sister has found the one thing that's important. And sometimes we allow certain distractions in our life to interfere with the one thing that matters. And today on a day like Mother's Day, we have a chance to just connect together and honestly do the one thing that matters, and that's connecting and here Jesus says, I will not take that away from her. One thing. By the way, we hear that term, one thing, all throughout Scripture. In Philippians, we hear that. That's the passage where he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to taking a hold of it. But this one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize which God has called us to, which is Jesus Christ. This one thing, the prize, you see it all through scriptures. You see it in uh, uh, Hebrews. After he does a great chapter about the great people of faith, he says, so considering this cloud of witnesses, these great people of faith we just talked about, he goes, uh, here's what we do, all right? Get rid of the sin that entangles, and fix your eyes, ready? One thing, fix your eyes on Jesus. All throughout scripture, we see this principle of getting rid of this stuff that's so easily entangled and focusing on one thing. I like mountain biking. I'm not great at it, but I really like it. And my friend Mark coaches all these mountain biking teams and we went up to Lake Tahoe. I'm about an hour and a half from Tahoe. And so we go up to Tahoe, and he's like, okay, we're about to go on this amazing trail. It's got great vista views, all this. He goes, um, but pay attention. Um, if you want to live, pay attention. And I'm like, you got my attention. <laughs> he goes, we're going on some precarious trails. We're going to be up on some cliffs. Literally, people have died. You know, you want to keep your eyes. I, I just, he's like, one thing I want you to do. I'm like, okay. He goes, I just, if you were looking to the right and the left, you're, you're going to take your eyes off this trail. You're going to veer off the trail and you're going to get hurt bad or you're going to die. He goes, so I'm going to be in front of you. I know this trail. Just keep your eyes on my back wheel right in the center, right at the hub. Watch the hub and you won't die. And I'm like, okay, watch the hub and don't die. And so we take off on the trail and he was not kidding. These trails were kind of precarious. They were moving through there. We're next to the edges of these cliffs and we're going, I'm like, watch the hub, don't die. Watch the hub, don't die. Watch the hub, watch the hub, watch the hub. That was my focus. I said, don't look to the right or left. Watch the hub. So that's what I did. But also we went kind of the top of this ridge and he hung this left. And as we go left, I'm just watch the hub, watch the hub, watch the hub. But in my God-given peripheral vision, I see this beautiful, large, big, blue something there. And I know that Tahoe's out there. I haven't seen it yet this day. It's this beautiful view. And I'm like, watch the hub, watch the hub. Don't look. Remember his words. Remember, oh. Oh my gosh, this is the most amazing view. 
Wow! I can't believe he didn't want me to see this view. Mark turns left. I don't. True story. Right off the edge of a cliff. Literally. Just right off the edge of a cliff. Now, this stuff happens in slow motion, all right? I turn back. I'm like, what a beautiful, oh, darn, is what I said. As I started to head off this cliff, and there was this little tree right there. There's this little Christmas tree. And I just elfed that Christmas tree. I was like, grab it. And literally, as I'm going off, my bike's attached to the feet. So it's like, and this tree starts to just bend. Like this. My bike's dangling. I'm dangling. I'm holding on. I'm like, be strong, little tree. And the tree was like, lay off the pizza a little bit, dude. I'm like, shut up, you're a tree. Mark comes back. He looks over. He goes, you took your eyes off the hub, didn't you? I'm like, but it's so beautiful. Now, is there anything wrong with looking at a lake? There's nothing wrong with looking at a lake. But the fact is, I was supposed to be doing one thing. Martha, cooking. Is there anything wrong with cooking? Anything wrong with the gift of hospitality? Not at all. But sometimes we enter a situation with good intentions, and even those good intentions can turn into a distraction that distracts us from the one thing we should be doing. And Jesus was there connecting with two sisters. He was there available. And one sister sat down and just started soaking them in. And I don't know where you're at right now today. As you walk through these doors, you could be walking through the doors with all kinds of baggage. And Jesus is saying, hey, plop down on my feet right here. I'd love to connect with you. And a lot of us, we're still holding on to something. We're holding on to some distraction that's just keeping us from simply plopping down at his feet. What is that thing that's so easily entangling you this morning? I'll end with this. Uh, years ago, uh, my kids were about ready to go on this missions trip with their church, and the youth pastor decided to, for some reason, he said, we're going to do a fast before we go on this trip. And the kids were like, okay, we could do it. All the girls were like, perfect, I need a diet. And so, <laughs> I'm sorry, the guys were saying that too. Um, and... Uh, and as they're all excited about this, he goes, it's going to be a media fast. And all the kids are like, hey, 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 no. That was heck without the, they were like, no, nah, no, all right? And, and, and he's like, hey, no, 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 we're going to try this. If you want to go on this trip, what we're going to do is we're going to, for 30 days, we're going to remove ourselves from social media, TV, music, and kids are like, I'm not going, Literally. And all the parents are like, kids, come on now. Come on, you need to do this. And then we have this big meeting. He's all, by the way, parents, it'd be unfair for us to do this with kids, so we're all gonna do it. And we're like, forget it, you ain't going. You ain't going. No, because I gotta watch NCIS Tracy, all right? You know, there's like 30 NCISs now, so NCIS Tracy is what I'm gonna be watching. And so true story, we were like, we were like, ah, oh, we didn't, nobody wanna do it. And we're like, okay, let's try it. 
So for 30 days, I literally take my kids to school the first day, and I get in, and I turn on radio, and my kids are like, Dad, don't. I'm like, ah, it was Chris Tomlin. Sorry, you know. Bad. No, it wasn't that it was bad. We're just kind of just trying something, and it was fascinating. After a few days, we kind of started to get used to it, and it was interesting. My kids would finish their homework, and they'd come downstairs, and they'd be like, so what are we going to do? Because there's nothing to do. What are we going to do? I'm like, there's the dog. There's a ball. Go and throw the ball at the dog. Dog lost 30 pounds, all right? I mean, it was like crazy, which is weird because it was a chihuahua. But I mean, it's like we were like, I mean, this, this, it was, we were doing things we'd never done before. We were sitting and I were like, I don't know, let's just light a fire in the living room, which was really weird because we didn't have a fireplace. <laughs> but we were just like hanging out. We're hanging out with each other. We're talking. We're doing things together. True story. The 30 days gets up. And by the way, we were so excited. And this will date when it was. We did a Lord of the Rings trilogy viewing the day it was stopped. Okay, we like literally were like, okay, let's, you know. So we like our screens. But my kids were like, Dad, we can't go back to the way it was. I'm like, what? So we kind of dialogued about this. And they came up with this idea. They did. They're like, let's do, let's not go crazy, but let's do No Tech Tuesday. On Tuesdays, let's go back to the way it was where we lit a fire in the living room, you know, and threw the ball for the dog. So we did it. Matter of fact, as the kids went off to college, finally my youngest was at home, and I remember my middle child calls, and she goes, hey, what are you doing? And we're like, oh, we're just sitting down, you know, by the fire, just hanging out, you know, and, uh, you know, Tuesday. And she goes, oh, No Tech Tuesday. I miss No Tech Tuesday. It became a good thing because they realized that by their own decision, that as fun as this device was, at times it's good to just throw it in the back pocket. They realized that maybe less was more. What do we need to trim from our lives? Let's pray together. Lord God, God, as you... uh, came down to us, you, 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 you came down in the flesh to connect with us. Some of us are so distracted and we just need to let go of this thing that is so easily entangling us and we need to lay it down at your feet. Lord God, I pray that if we walked in these doors this morning and there's something that we need to get rid of, there's something we need to trim, there's something we need to just, Lord God, I just pray that right now that we would just pray to you and say, God, that thing that was filled in on that blank, that distraction, God, please take that from me. And God, give me the guts to tell somebody about it after this service because I need that trimmed from my life. Lord God, I pray that as we walk out of here that we wouldn't be pointing at others in our family, but that we would simply look at what we need to trim from our lives so that we can better connect with you and with those around us. Lord God, we give this to you because it's way bigger than us. We pray.